life happens in connection with people, right? So if you're not connected with somebody somewhere, you need to be because that's where life happens. So another encouragement just to join a group, get connected somewhere and see where it takes you. It really is a blessing to be involved in that way. I received messages from Pastor Bill and Elizabeth late last night and this morning. Uh, the team is heading from Ghana to Lebanon, so continue praying for them as they're uh, ministering with our partners um, around the world. Uh, just pray for safety and, and successful, fruitful ministry. This morning, we're going to be back in Ephesians uh, towards the beginning, end of chapter 5, end of chapter 6, if you want to start moving that way. If you don't know me, my name is Matthew McDaniel. Um, my wife and I have been married for 25 years, almost 26 years. We have four children together. Aiden's 23, Emma's 20, Madeline's 14, and Olivia is 12. Uh, in my day job, I am the CEO of two companies where I have upwards of 100 people responsible to me. I don't say any of that to be impressive. I say that because as a father, or excuse me, as a husband, a father, and a manager, these passages are very, very easy for me because they're very, very clear. Simple message, wives submit, children obey, employees comply. <laughs> so why don't we pray and we can go to lunch, okay? Simple, just go, go, just go apply it in your own lives, right? They're simple to read, they're simple to say, they're really simple to grasp, but it's the implementation of them, it's the application of them, and then it's the follow-through that requires guts and really challenges our core. In fact, oftentimes when we're looking at these passages about the husband-wife relationship, the father-child relationship, or the parent-child relationship, and the, uh, the employee-boss relationship, I think what we're really challenged by most, if we're honest, is whether or not we really believe this is reality. Because I think in the world in which we live, all three of these things are being challenged. And it's here at the end of chapter 5 and into chapter 6 of Ephesians that Paul lays out very, very clearly how we are supposed to interact in these areas of our lives. It was interesting, I, I was reading in my own quiet times in the book of Colossians, and Colossians is a parallel uh, letter to Ephesians. I'll come back to that a little bit later because I'm going to give you some homework. I was also in 1 Peter this week, and 1 Peter lays out the same list. Husbands, wives, children, children parents, and uh, managers, and, and employees. So these relationships are really, really critical to the way that we live our lives day to day. They're not side things. They're not extras. They are the relationships in which we live out our Christian faith, our Christian, Christian conviction. So it's important for us. I would say it's critical for us. It's essential for us to understand what these passages mean and how they relate to us. One thing I like about studying the epistles particularly is looking at the big picture. And so you may remember that in the letter to the church at Ephesus, there are major themes. The letter's broken up into a first section and a second section. The first section is chapters 1 to 3. It's talking about the fact that we have been made worthy by the work of Christ on the cross. His work of redemption, his resurrection, his ascension, his ongoing ministry for us is a blessing because we are made worthy, but we're not made worthy just to take we're made worthy so that we can walk. And that's what chapters four to six are about. If you remember when we kicked this study off some months ago, we said that in the first three chapters, there's not a single command. There's a lot of instruction, but there's no command to do. In the second half of the letter, chapters four, five, and six, there are over 50 commands. So in Paul's mind, the way that we have been made right with Christ 
is directly related to the way that we live that out in Christ. And he uses this analogy of walking, the way that we walk out our lives in Christian faithfulness is instrumentally tied to the way we think about that. So you may hear people sometimes say, well, it's theological, it's not very practical. I think it's bogus because what is theological, understanding God and what God has done for us is intimately connected with the way that we must respond to that. And so as we come to the text this morning, we come as Christians saying, if this word is true, it means I need to live differently. And that's the challenge we face every single day. God, how am I going to hear you and submit to you in my day-to-day life? Here in Ephesians 5 and 6, Paul is giving spheres of our lives that we need to highlight. Pastor Bill started last week with this personal area, which is wives and husbands. Today, we'll see the middle two, our parental sphere and our professional sphere. We're not going to do it now, but in the book of Romans, Paul talks about the public sphere, the way that we ought to be living in subjection to governing authorities, which is a very hot topic for us, especially if you disagree with the politicians at all. But these four categories, and we could probably break them up and nuance them a little bit more, but these four categories are spheres of life that each of us should understand. God, what do you say to me about how to live out in these areas? And if you, any of you are planners or organizers or goal setters or things like that, I find that these four areas are very helpful just in my life to kind of mark goals in each. Personally, how am I to live out my faith in my relationship with my wife who is one with me? In my relationship with my children, how am I to live out my life? What goals do I need to set there? As a business person, as someone who's engaging in, in, in the, the business world, what kind of goals should be informed by Scripture and how, that I li- how am I live my, my daily life? How do I uh, lead my staff? How do I uh, cast vision for them? And then as a c- citizen in this great country, what's my responsibility as a Christian with regards to submitting to governing authorities? Those are four very, very helpful spheres of life. And uh, they should drive the way that we live. According to the Apostle Paul, Christ-likeness walks worthy in these areas of life. So I want to continue where Pastor Bill left us last week. If you were here last week, he was in chapter 5, looking at the relationship between wives and husbands. And if you were not here last week, you should go back and listen to that message because it really was a fantastic one. The summary of it all is that wives ought to respect their husbands Husbands ought to love their wives. It's interesting that the very end of that chapter ends with not the same submit to each other, but they are to handle each other differently. Wives respecting, husbands loving. And it was a great challenge for all of us, particularly in the fact that Paul spends so much time in his description of that part of our life, showing that this is a parallel, it's a, it's a portrait for the world of what Christ and the church relationship is like. Pastor Bill did a great job last week, and I don't need to add any to that, so I encourage you to go back and take a look, whether it's on the app or on the website. This morning, we're going to pick up in uh, the beginning of chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, open up. Because I like context so much, I'm going to start reading from where we were last week because all three of these kind of flow together, but we're really going to look specifically at chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Pick up with me in chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, 
As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and to the church. However, let each one of you, uh, each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Amen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with, God, with goodwill as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Father, help us as we open this text up, as we look at it together. I pray that we would hear, that somehow we would hear without any of the, uh, the fogginess that culture pours on these passages. I pray that we would see very clearly what it is that you have for us. Help us to make sense of it. I pray, God, that you would uh, strike a chord in our hearts as to what you want to see happen in our lives. And I pray that we would leave change because of the time we spent in your word. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Let's first look at this parental role again, particularly in chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. It says simply, children, obey your parents in the Lord. That in the Lord phrase is interesting because we'll see it again a little bit later, but in every relationship, the wife's husband's relationship, the child-parent relationship, the employee-manager relationship, and all three, there's this phrase, in the Lord, or as to the Lord, or as to Christ, or as bondservants of Christ, and there's this, this overarching context, this overarching picture that we need to keep in mind as we're interacting in each of these spheres of our life, because everything we do as, in, as Christians is to be mindful of our submission to the Lord God in the person of Jesus Christ. And so it is permeating each of these areas of instruction. Children are to obey uh, your parents in the Lord. Why? For this is right. Full stop. Boop. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And I think to myself, is this really what we want in life? Any of you parents? How many of you have had the Target experience? You know what the Target experience is? It's the one child screaming like five aisles over because they're not getting something, but then you realize that it's actually your child, and you're trying to bring them into submission only to realize 
that they are completely out of control and you are powerless to, to handle them in any way that uh, brings success? Anybody been there? How many of you have judged the other parents? I know I do all the time, and then I'm like, man, I was there, I was there, I was there. Children, obey the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I think it's interesting that he just simply says, for this is right. There's no nuance, there's no ifs, there's no conditions, there's no explanations in that first sentence other than, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then if we have forgotten, he goes back to the Ten Commandments, and he quotes from Exodus 20, honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a blessing. If you go through the Ten Commandments, the first uh, four of them, first four commandments don't have a blessing attached. It's not until you get to the fifth commandment with the father and the mother that there's there's a blessing, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, if you remember the context of the day, they're at the the bottom of Mount Sinai. Moses is receiving the commandments from the Lord. He's bringing them down, but they're trying to get to the land, right? Their hope is to get to that land, the, the promised land. So when God says this is the first command with a promise, or Paul quoting from, from Exodus, it's that if children obey their parents properly in the Lord, then it will go well with them in the land. I don't know about you, but I want, as a child, I wanted my life to go well. I wanted to live long. And as a father now looking down at my children, I want them to live long, and I want them to prosper, and I want things to go well with them. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. If you do, Paul says in the church in the letter to Colossians, he says, it will, uh, it's pleasing to the Lord. Exodus 20 says that you will, it'll go well with you and you will live long in the land. And so I was kind of chewing on this. You know, because as a father, there are times where I wish my children would obey in a certain way, and they choose not to. And sometimes there's, there's stress and there's tension back and forth between, okay, who really has the authority here? And then I look around in the world, and I say, well, what is the general wisdom out there about obedience and children and child-rearing? So I found this article in child, uh, the psychology, uh, psychology Today. Do you want to raise an obedient child... It may be dangerous to raise a child who automatically obeys. She goes on to say that uh, it's dangerous to raise a child who obeys automatically, who swallows his or her objections and does what is told without question. Obedient children grow into obedient adults. They're less likely to stand up for themselves and more likely to be taken advantage of. They're also capable of simply following orders without question, without taking responsibility for their actions. She goes on to imply that, that children who are just obedient actually get themselves into positions of danger because they don't know how to say no. That's kind of her logical uh, drive here. That doesn't mean that you don't set limits, she continues. And sometimes children do have to do what adults say. Do you get that? And sometimes children do have to do what adults say, but children also need to learn that they have a right to say no sometimes. How do they learn that? They learn it through experience. I looked at a lot of articles, and there were a lot of articles that kind of echoed that. One headline said, obedient children are unhappy children. 
And so I think to myself, do I believe that God's word is accurate, that children should obey for their good and for the good of society? Or do I go with the thought that, no, they, they need to be handled slightly differently? And so I kind of was chewing on this, and I said, how can I get a better, more crystal clear, accurate, culturally re relevant answer? I said, I'm going to ask chat GBT. So I did, and um, it's, there's great wisdom here, so don't, don't, don't mock it before you try it. The prompt was, should children obey their parents, right? As an AI assistant, I can provide some perspective on this topic. Ultimately, whether children should obey their parents can depend on various factors, such as the child's age, the specific situation, and cultural and familial norms. Parents are responsible for, being, for the well-being and guidance of their children. They often have more knowledge, experience, and a broader view of consequences of certain actions. Therefore, listening and obeying their parents' guidance can be beneficial for children's safety, development, and moral education. However, it is important to recognize that children have their own thoughts, feelings, and autonomy. At a certain age, children need to start developing decision-making skills, critical thinking, and independence. In such cases, parents would benefit from allowing their children to have a say, fostering open communication, and encouraging respectful dialogue. Ultimately, there should be a healthy balance between parental authority and, child's and a child's autonomy. Mutual respect, trust, and effective communication contrib can contribute to developing a positive parent-child relationship where children feel comfortable expressing their thoughts while still acknowledging the guidance and wisdom of their parents. Uh, oddly enough, I think Chat did better than the psychologist. But we see these nuances appear in culture, right? And so for me, I think, okay, do I really believe the framework that God has built into the fabric of life? Do I believe that to be true over and against the wisdom of the culture? Do I really believe that it's better for my children to obey than for them to handle it on their own with me as kind of like a wise Yoda sage on the outside throwing wisdom at them? God's word says children obey. So the stance, the heart, the position of a child should be living in submission to their parents' authority. Now, a lot of these articles kind of splash back on the parents. Well, obviously, if the parent's abusive or if the parent's too strong-handed or if the parent is controlling or manipulative or all of those things these kids should not uh, obey, Paul kind of gets ahead of that, and he jumps and says, fathers, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's interesting on several levels. One, Paul did not say fathers and mothers. He did not say parents. He said fathers. And it's not a positive thing. It's not like fathers um, uh, be good dads. It's fathers don't provoke them to anger. And I'm like, what? why? Why that? How many of you have ever provoked your children to anger? Fathers? I am king exasperator. I am, I'm king. I actually think Paul should have written the other way. I think he should have said, children, stop exasperating your fathers. Come on, where, 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 where's the benefit to us, dads? Come on. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. 
Lots of the articles talked about uh, not being motivated by fear, not being motivated by these uh, acts of dread of some kind. It's interesting that Paul's guidance is use a sense of warning in your, parent, in your parenting, fathers. Bring them up. It's interesting, this bring them up word is actually the same word used earlier as nourish. When a man nourishes his body, that same word is described in how he should relate to his children. That the father's role is to nourish his children towards godliness. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If there is a father who is a godly man, who is seeking the Lord, who is praying for the heart of his child, who is trying to instruct in them a sense of, of uh, God's submissiveness and God-glorifyingness, I just made up that word, and a child obeys that, there is a perfect harmony. Do you see that? Both sides are accountable. The father to the father, the child to the parent. And that's the system that God has laid out for us. Ideally, children, obey your parents. Why? Because it's right. Fathers, don't provoke them to anger, but rather nourish them in the discipline and the instruction, literally the discipline and the warning of the Lord. We as parents need to lay consequences before our children so that they see when they choose to do this, this is the end result. ChatGBT even brought that to us. Parents are older, they're wiser, they understand. They understand wisdom and, and direction because they've been there. This relationship is instrumental. Children obey, fathers nourish. Let's go on to the bond servants and the managers or the masters. I think the parallel is between employees and bosses. That's why I use those words, employees and managers. Granted, you could talk about first century slave culture and you could talk about what a bond servant is and how they're willingly choosing to stay with a master even though their term of service has passed. I get all that, but I think in today's culture, the direction really applies to bosses and employees. How many of you are bosses? How many of you people that report to you? How many of you are employees? How many of you don't like your boss? There's a picture taken there momentarily just so we have record of that. Employees obey. Same word. Ch children obey your parents. Employees obey your earthly masters. You obey them with fear and with trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. That's a long sentence with a lot of meat in there. Employees, obey your earthly masters with fear and with trembling as you would Christ. This phrase, as I said before, is peppered through here. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives ought to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers, raise your children up in the instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, serve your managers or employees, serve your managers as you would Christ, as if you were a bond servant of Christ, and do it as to the Lord, knowing that the Lord 
is your master and his. He says that to the managers. And I kept thinking, if, if Paul seems to have an understanding that his audience is serving Christ, that they're not just taking from their relationship with Christ, but they're actually serving him. And he says, in the same way that you serve Christ, serve your masters. So it got me thinking about how is it that I serve Christ? How is it that you serve Christ? At a surface level, sometimes it looks like we serve Christ by taking things from him. We sing praises because we have received this. We sing our songs because we've received this. We come to worship because we've received this. We're a Christian because we've received this. But if someone was to ask you, how do you serve Christ, what would you say? How would you serve Christ? How would you describe your service? What are you giving back to him? I think the list that he gives to bond servants is a list in part of the ways we should be serving him. He says, serve Christ with fear, with trembling, with a sincerity of heart. Not, pe- not, people, or not pleasing people, but doing as if you're a bondservant of Christ, and it's God's will that you do this. So just kind of as a tangent thought, as you evaluate your own relationship with Christ, and as you serve him, do you serve him with that spirit, or are you more a taker? Are you more someone that just is thankful that you've received so much? Rather than literally serving Christ, waking up, God, what are my marching orders? How do you want me to act? How do you want me to talk? How do you want me to think? How do you want me to respond to my wife? How do you want me to respond to my child? How do you want me to respond to my boss and those who are in authority over me? God, what do you want me to do? How do I sacrifice myself and willingly submit myself under your authority? How do I do that? That should be the question, the thoughts that kind of gurgle through our brains every morning. I was thinking even this morning driving to church that it's interesting that you have four levels of relationship here. You have, you have husbands, wives, you have children, fathers, you have uh, bosses, employees, and if you look at Romans 13, you have kings and you have people. God himself describes himself as the dominant character in each of those. He is the groom and we are the bride. He is the father, and we are the children. He is the master, and we are servants of his. He is the king of kings, and we are his royal subjects, citizens of of the, the eternal kingdom. It's interesting that God lays out this structure for society that if everybody is working in mutual submission and the way that it's supposed to lay out, everything's supposed to be at peace, but yet God lays over the top of this this portrait of him being the dominant player in all of it. That our submission, our ability to submit in the the personal relationships around us hinges on our ability to properly submit ourselves to the Lord God, who is the one over all, who has laid these constructs out for us. And so when we look at any of these relationships, any of these pieces, we have to understand that this really is an issue of our heart and our heart's perspective of our relationship with the Father. Because in any one of these dyads, the reaction is almost always the same. 
If I am told to submit, if I am told to obey, if I am told to comply, what about him? What about her? What about the other one? God, what are you going to do with them? And I think time and time again, God's spirit just penetrates our soul. And it's not so much about them. It's about you and it's about your heart. Oftentimes, I talk with my children about their heart being stubborn. You know, compliance is okay, but I don't want compliance. I want a heart that sees God in this and responds accordingly. In my own life, I don't want to be just stubbornly and angrily and bitterly submissive to God. I want to see a heart in me that sees, knows, understands, reflects, and properly submits myself willingly under his leadership. And I think that's what God wants to see in each of these pieces of our lives because each is accountable to each other. So there's some principles here that I want to draw out. Next week, we're going to finish up this great letter by looking at the armor of God. But I want to look at some principles that I want to ponder here that hopefully will be helpful for all of us. First, we need to remember that each one is valuable and distinctly functional. I think sometimes we confuse submission with value and we say, well, if I'm the submissive person, then I'm not as important as the the higher up person. God's word never reveals it that way with the exception of God being exalted above us. I love what the apostle Paul says about the church. Now, slightly different context, but same idea. He says, those who are the hand cannot look to the foot and say, man, I wish I was a foot. Or those who are the tongue say to the eye and say, wait, I wish I was an eye. Because every part plays a part. It's functionally distinct and each is valuable. So the role that the wife plays in relationship to the husband or vice versa, the relationship that the child plays with the parents or vice versa, the relationship that the the employees play with the the managers or vice versa, or the relationship with us with our, our governing authorities, It's not an issue of value. All are valuable. It's an issue of function. And if each part plays its part properly, what happens? It works, right? It works. And when each part doesn't play its part well, then you've got like 47 right legs. And what are you doing? You're running in a circle very, very fast. Maybe very efficiently, but you're running in a circle very, very fast. That's not what God intended for us as a body not what God intended for the marriage. It's not what God intended for the family. It's not what God intended for the workplace. It's not what God intended for culture. Each one is valuable, distinctly functional. Second, all are accountable. I love what Peter faces at the end of Jesus' earthly life. They're, They're on the beach after Jesus is resurrected. He's making breakfast for them. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, come walk with me. And what does Peter say? He turns around and goes, well, what about that guy? And that's totally our attitude towards God sometimes. Well, God, you're telling me to do this, but what about that guy? What are you going to do with him? Why why isn't he getting a, a fair shake like I am? If you see through this passage, everyone is accountable back to God. And if everyone is living accountable to God, then these relationships run smoothly. The only problem is we don't live accountable to God, do we? We fight the system. We, we argue with it. We argue with the people around us. We try to put our foot down. We value ourselves over culture in general. We do all of these things as a wrestling match in our spirit. Why? Because ultimately, we don't want to be accountable. We want them to be accountable. And that's the very heart that God wants to root out of our souls. 
That sense of pride and self-confidence, he wants to break that in us so that we are truly submissive to his spirit and his guidance. Each is valuable. All are accountable. Lastly, submission is universal, and it's essential. Ultimately, what all of this comes down to is a matter of our heart. So when the psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart, see if there's any deceitful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way, he's reflecting the heart that all of us should have, a heart that says, God, I hear you, and I will do it. Why? Because I know you're right, even though it doesn't feel good to me. We need to, to, uh, uh, to foster, well, let's use Paul's word. We need to nourish a sense of submission in our own hearts. That doesn't mean you're spineless. It doesn't mean you're weak. It means you're willingly putting yourself under an authority that God has established. And we need to do that just by a, an act of habit. You know, everybody needs to be accountable. It is so, so dangerous when someone is not submissive. Let's be submissive people to the glory of God. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Sacrifice for them. Because this is a portrait for the world to see of what Christ, how Christ relates to his bride. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because it's right. It pleases the Lord. Remember that when you don't want to obey, remind yourselves that this is the first command with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Honor them, father and mother. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't provoke them to anger. Don't stir them up in frustration. Don't break their spirits, but rather nourish them. Raise them up in the instruction and the guidance of the Lord. If you're an employee, obey your master your boss, your manager. Not just to look good in front of your coworkers. Don't just do it to please them. Do it because you're serving God in the process. And bosses, don't threaten your employees. But rather remember that their master and your master is the same master and he's not impartial. He's not gonna treat you any differently than them. So all of us need to bear a submissive spirit to the glory of God in all things. Let's pray. Father, we need you because this is not what we do. What we do is we take control. What we do is we fight against the system. What we do is we speak up for our rights. What we do is we put our foot down. What we do is we put up the guards and we block what you want to do. And Father, we want to be like Jesus. We want to have a submissive and soft heart towards you and your leading God, I pray that you would do a work in us to make us more like Jesus. I pray for those this morning that are here that are realizing just in their spirit right now that they have really gone off the road and that today is a day they just need to make some things right. It might be talking with their wife. It might be talking to their husband. It might be talking to their children, children maybe to their parents. If you realize you're not treating your your boss very respectfully, make amends tomorrow. Bosses, if you realize that you are just leading badly, make changes. The way that we live out our Christian faith is a signpost to the glory and the majesty and the greatness of God. God, I pray that you would, in our hearts, make us glorious 
signpost for you. And that the world would see us and rather than, rather than slandering your great name, I pray that they would see us and they would glorify your great name. And I pray that we'd see fruit of that even this week. We pray this in your matchless son's name, the name of our king, our master, our husband, and our father. Be with us, Father, as we serve you this week. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.